Pierce and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Insider Podcast. And today we are talking all about customer insights and what that actually means for radiology. Today we're very lucky to be joined by Mark Carr, adjunct professor at Babson College, Dr. Brent Wagner, who's president of West Reading Radiology, and uh, Dr. Alex Norbash, who is the chief at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, thank you all for joining me for this conversation. Uh, we're here talking uh, today, uh, it's the instance of the RLI Leadership Summit, and today we've talked about in the session about customer insights led by Mark Carr. Uh, so I think first it might be helpful to really discuss exactly what we talk about when we talk about customers and who exactly are radiologist customers, because I think that a large part helps kind of set the, the context and the criteria for us defining customers. So in that sense, who are radiologist customers? Uh, Dr. Wagner, who would you consider in a private practice to be some of your primary customers? So in our hospital-based private practice, uh, we would count the patients first among the customers. Uh, and immediately behind the patient, we also respond to the referring physicians, the clinical physicians who send in the patients for the imaging studies. But even beyond that, we often think about our, our stakeholders or constituents as customers when we think about the hospital administration. Uh, with whom we share uh, facilities and resources. Also our technology staff, so the, the technologists who perform the studies, and, and of course the radiologists themselves, we want to make sure that we are providing an environment that allows for uh, appropriate and optimal recruitment and retention of quality physicians. And Dr. Norbesh, there's probably some, some obviously overlap there in the academic uh, departments, uh, but probably some additional uh, customers as you see them are constituent stakeholders with whom you work as well. I think one of the challenges of radiology is it lives in this exciting intersection of technology and healthcare. Um, and so when you look at all the matrix possibilities of whom you can work with and whom works for you and whom you work for, it gets very complicated very quickly. So as an example, for me to be a good citizen in the medical school, I have to make sure that the other departments, as entity departments, not necessarily referring physicians, but pathology has to see me as a good citizen, surgery has to see me as a good citizen. We have to be seen as serving their needs. At the same time, the rest of the university is looking to us for leadership, whether it's the School of Pharmacology, whether it's the business school, whether it is the School of Engineering, they're looking for partnerships. And so it's not sufficient to draw a perimeter around a particular group and say, these are my customers and that's all I care about. You have to have an expansive vision that looks at adding value with every possible interaction. Not just the interactions you're having, but the interactions you can have that you have to engineer that will allow you to grow your enterprise, to secure your future, and to solidify your stance. So I think looking at an individual set of customers is challenging. Clearly, the patients should be at the center of our universe, the individual patients. But also when we're serving patients, we're serving society at large and third-party payers and payer systems. So it's a complicated question to answer, but I, I think you know between the four of us who can gain some insight into who we need to focus on. Sure, absolutely. And I think that that right there, the last statement there of who we need to focus on, underscores the importance of being able to segment appropriately because you're going to develop relationships differently with the pathologist or others that you have with the stakeholders there much differently as you segment them out versus a patient, even just unto referring physicians. You are going to communicate with them differently in your report, for example, than you would want to necessarily within a report that a patient might see in their EMR, for example. Well, as an example, uh, we have found that the staff in referring physicians' offices can drive business hmm. to us or away from us. 
So even though the patient ultimately is the customer, the decision about where the business goes may be made by somebody else. And you have to understand the business to recognize where you need to apply the necessary amount of convincing so that you can get the business and provide the service. Yeah. Outstanding. And, and so in, in talking about that, and, and now that we can kind of get a better understanding of the landscape of how we segment customers and see them and constituents, et cetera, uh, it allows us to do something that, that Mark recommended, which is a great strategy, is finding the customer stories and being able to listen to them. So, Mark, if you could kind of provide a, a little bit of a background on customer stories, but then also maybe some tips, techniques on how to, to listen appropriately to glean the right insights from those stories in order to influence how you make better business decisions so that those insights lead to growing business and, and growing, as Alex said, being able to get more patients coming your way. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes when people think about customer research, they tend to think about surveys and um, those kinds of things or even focus groups. But one of the most fundamental and basic ways in which you can gain insight into these various kinds of customer groups that we've been talking about is just listening for customer stories. And um, it often is missed in the quantitative data or graphs or charts or statistics that we're getting, uh, the fundamental emotional and behavioral motivators that people have. And customer stories are a way of just understanding and exploring what motivates people, how they react to things, and, and seeing uh, where there might be opportunity for improvement. So um, many of the leading businesses that we think of um, from Walmart to Starbucks uh, to uh, almost any major brand you name, uh, executives are trying to get out of the executive suite and go meet with their customers and gain that firsthand experience of listening to their complaints, uh, the things they like, um, how they feel about the way in which they're treated and the quality of the products or services that they're receiving. Yeah, I think one of the uh, great examples you provided was Scott Cook, with, or it was earlier today actually, was Scott Cook with Intuit, where they talked about he, uh, this follow the customer home when they were putting the Intuit in for the accounting software. And that actually led to the rise of seeing the small businesses take that and create QuickBooks. They realized they didn't need this fancy, massive accounting suite, and that's become one of their major products. But just by simply watching the customer and letting that story unfold and saying, you know what, they don't need all of this, and you're able to hone in on exactly what job they need to get done. Yeah. Observation uh, can be a powerful tool for gaining customer insight as well as uh, just doing what uh, one mentor once told me, which is we have uh, two ears uh, and uh, uh, one mouth for a reason, uh, so try listening as much as you talk uh, when interacting with customers. And then finally, I'd say ask the right kinds of questions, which are generally open-ended questions following up with probing non-biased questions. And I think many of us have had training in what's the difference between a close-ended question, which just elicits a yes or no response versus an open-ended question, which can be an invitation to learn a lot more. Yeah. And if you need examples of that, just watch any lawyer show on TV, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what happened next? And then what happened? Um, so and one of the things you pointed out in the session was that a lot of this information that comes out of these stories is, is qualitative uh, data. And right now we have a wealth of quantitative data that's out there that's also helping inform these decisions. Could you briefly just describe the difference between the two of those? Yeah. So qualitative data is uh, generally about exploring um, 
and uh, about asking the why and how uh, of people. So it's much more open-ended, much broader, usually exploratory in nature at the beginning of some kind of investigation into an issue. Uh, quantitative, as the name suggests, is about measuring and counting things. Um, that doesn't mean that it's always statistically significant, but it's, it's much more of an objective measurement. Um, qualitative uh, plays a great role in helping you understand an issue. Quantitative can help you understand how big the issue is and project that on a larger population. Perfect. Doctors Norbash, Wagner, uh, you got some examples that you can think of in a qualitative versus quantitative sense in, in terms of a radiology practice or department? Right. For us, the, um, the survey that we rely on the most, actually, because it's easier to obtain, unfortunately, uh, is the physician satisfaction survey. That means our referring physicians. And it is a mix of both quantitative and qualitative uh, assessment. So we have uh, seven questions that are answered on a five-point scale so we can quantify and we can actually track year to year uh, on how we're trending with respect to our top referring physicians. Uh, and it's actually very useful information, but more useful than that, as Mark just said, is the qualitative piece, which is the open-ended question segment of that survey that follows, because those are very specific targeted suggestions for improvement. It's rare that we get just a criticism without a follow-on from, from the doctor that says, uh, you know, consider doing X, Y, Z because I'm struggling with a problem that I've seen as a, a recurrent issue for uh, the radiology services that we provide. Beyond that, the other quantitative uh, data that we would use to, again, to inform decisions about uh, staffing and manpower and service provision uh, revolves around things like turnaround time. Hmm. And uh, we certainly get back to that issue of are we making sure that we're serving the departments well, uh, and I'll specifically point out the emergency department, to them turnaround time is everything. And, uh, and of course we track that actively so that we make sure we're meeting the metrics that we've agreed on so that they're happy with the service that we're providing. But I'll let Alex uh, elaborate on other things. And the, the, the specific problem we have actually is getting patient assessment data that is actionable. We, we get to know patient survey data, but maybe Alex has some ideas on ways to track the patient satisfaction and service to that segment of our customer base. So Brent, your comments are very much spot on. I agree with them completely. Uh, if you'd like me to project forward a little bit, I can share an experience I had with you and tell you how this could be applicable in the radiology world. So again, there are a remarkable number of opportunities we have not capitalized on to get quantitative information that will guide our practice, particularly where patient satisfaction is concerned. So if you'll indulge me, just a brief story. Um, I was going through Heathrow at one point in time. I have two sons who live in London. I was going through Heathrow to leave, and as I went through security, I saw a little pedestal. And this was maybe two and a half to three years ago. A pedestal, as soon as you go through security, and it has, and we're all familiar with this now, a frowny face at one end, a smiley face at the other, and three other faces in between. And each of these is a button. And simply one question is asked, how do you feel about the experience? In, in this instance, it was, how do you feel about the experience of going through the security line? Well, you know, I happen to hit the smiley face because things went well. And then the, the name of the company that does this is Happy or Not. And I went online, I found a little mark on the box and I went home and I looked it up and they give you analytic information. So now I want you to imagine this. Let's say you have happy or not pedestals uh, in a number of locations in the department. Hmm. You have it at registration, you have it in the waiting room in radiology, you have it after you exit radiology, and you have one near the parking lot. 
maybe that will let you figure out where the patient changes in their satisfaction from high to low or low to high. So you can then figure out how you'll do an analysis and understand what's going wrong or what's going right in a particular location. And it's not about the individual patient. It's about the 800 transactions a day that we do in a radiology department. So now that's incredibly powerful. If you can take a month or two of data and realize where are the inconsistencies in satisfaction? Where is the consistent high satisfaction? Where is the consistent low satisfaction? So, and what we've done now is we've taken all those happy or not faces and we've put them on iPhone app that we can have the patients sent. So we will send the patient an email and then they can click on that happy or not face. So this is, again, this is something that's being developed, but that's the kind of power that we can use to understand where is it that our systems are breaking down. Because what we can find out is not just if a patient's dissatisfied, but more importantly, can we get them to the point where, as Mark has said, you want the patients to refer friends and family to you. And the way you do that is by understanding your operations and how that affects the patient's satisfaction rating and addressing whatever problems may exist. The way to do that is quantitative information. And that's a fantastic example of actually getting ahead of where it may end up going anyway in terms of what your patient satisfaction scores are going to mean for reimbursement rates. Because we all know that that's part of what's coming anyway. And so you're getting ahead of it, which means then that you're probably going to have an opportunity to be able to uh, provide insights and provide recommendations on how that scoring should actually be done. Because you're already doing it and you're the ones dictating how it's done to begin with. Um, last, um, was a great uh, exercise that we did earlier in the session with, with Mark where he asked if... Uh, us to think about in ways in which a patient interaction or patient insight or customer insight has helped either change our perspective or change the way we think or do business. And I'd just like to ask as a, as a parting thought, if Dr. Norbash, Dr. Wagner, if you guys had any uh, examples of something like that. And you talked about some surveys that you've had, Dr. Wagner, but is there any kind of specific uh, story that either one of you have that you might want to share in terms of, of that? Well, so as an example, um, one of my clinicians recently pointed out to me that uh, in order to provide cost reductions to the system, we've gradually migrated away from staffing our filming library, and we have come up with a, a skinnier system for downloading CDs into our PAC system for being, for being interpreted. Well, I found out recently that in one instance, again, and which customer are we talking about here? It's one of our oncologists. One of our oncologists saw a patient and he had the CDs taken to our service center where they were to be downloaded uh, and they weren't downloaded in time for him to see the patient in the clinic and have all the images available. Mm -hmm. So he saw the patient but it was an inadequate visit because of our drop. Hmm. Why did that happen? Because he didn't check off the box that said these should be downloaded in a stat manner. Now since it's a patient who happened to have a malignancy, they had 30, 30 studies that were to be downloaded. And so they got pushed at the back of the queue because there were so many of them. And so we can take a self-righteous stance as a radiology department saying, well, you know what? Who could realistically expect you to download 30 studies in a day? But ultimately, the patient did not receive the care they deserved. So this caused us to mobilize a lot of resources and figure out how can we flex up on the staffing side so that this can't happen again. The stories are powerful because it deals with people's health and their fears and their well-being. And so the stories, for me, they stick. 
The, the comment I would make is, is largely anecdotal, but back to the question of would a patient recommend our services to another patient, to a friend, to a family member, um, one of the things that I try to stress with uh, my radiologists is to look for opportunities where we have a chance to um, show the patient what radiologists actually do. And where I find the easiest opportunities for that is in the early evening hours where we're doing add-on cases sometimes or just patients who were scheduled in the early evening and, and there was a request for a verbal report back to the uh, physician's office. And what we try to do there, and, and I'm not alone in this, um, is the radiologist will go out and talk to the patient and give them the results right then. Uh, I, would, I would caution that this is most effectively done when the answer to the question is fairly targeted uh, in anterior cruciate ligament tear. Uh, a negative examination uh, is easy as well, but a, a fractured ankle, things that are targeted. If they're nuanced beyond that where suddenly you need clinical information, including physical exam and, and historical information that goes back beyond what you're going to be able to do in a one-on-one -on -one with that patient, I would caution against that because you can actually mislead the patient or potentially create confusion. But at times when you can give a result uh, to a patient in the early evening hours, and where I've had the most uh, success with this is actually on Friday, because they're not going to be able to reach that physician's office until next week. And if you've established a diagnosis and you can share that with them in a way that is uh, not likely to create anxiety, but instead allay anxiety, um, you, you, know, you have tremendous opportunities as a radiologist to show yourself as a clinician in that sense, the, the, an imaging professional, and we get a chance to, to really, um, I think, cr create a compassionate uh, experience for the patient that they will then feel compelled to say that this was good and I would recommend this to friends and family, uh, which is really, you know, ultimately our goal is to make sure we're providing excellent service for the people we serve. Fantastic. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and for this uh, fascinating topic. Uh, I know it's very helpful and very interesting. So thank you all three for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks.